Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. I titled this message, Giving Our All for Jesus, or Giving Jesus Our All, in light of what's going to happen for many of you tomorrow. Many of you are going to enter a crazy, busy fall season as school starts early in the morning. And as I thought about it, I thought about this text and this title because I want you to start the year off right by thinking about how do we live for Jesus and give him our all. And as I was thinking about this title and this, this context, I, I was thinking about what happened to me in high school. Uh, I used to play basketball. That was the sport of choice that I played. And because I'm five foot nine, I only had one position I could play. It was point guard. And I really enjoyed it. I wasn't a very good basketball player. I wasn't great at offense. I, I couldn't score much. I probably averaged six to eight points a game. Uh, but, but, I, but the thing that I loved about it was the defensive part. And I also loved uh, the leadership part of calling the plays and getting the ball into the right person's hands so that they could score. I just really enjoyed the game. Well, if you've ever in the summertime been around horses and you see flies all over a horse, what do the flies do? They won't leave the horse alone. They just buzz and they fly all around the horse and there's just a swarm of flies that just hang around these horses. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that was me when it came to defense. When it came to defense, I was the Energizer Bunny, kind of like I am today, but I had more energy then. And, and I would just swarm whoever I was guarding. I wouldn't let them get out of my sight. I would just stay on them. And oftentimes, the coach would put me on either the point guard or the shooting guard that tended to score a lot because they knew I would swarm the person and not let them get the ball. Or if they got the ball, I would be all over them uh, so that they wouldn't score. There was one game I remember. It was the last game of the season, and I played for Bearden High School down the road. And there was one game where it was the last game of the season. We were playing Oak Ridge, one of our rivals, and we were in overtime. We were losing by two. And the, the, the player, I just was, by God's grace, shutting him down. I mean, he may have had eight points. He usually averaged about 20. But, uh, but they get the ball to me, and me being not an offensive scorer, uh, it lands in my hands. We're down by two, three seconds remaining. So I, <laughs> I had to shoot it, so I shot it. And it felt like slow motion. The ball went in. It rolled around the rim, I kid you not. It felt like slow motion, and then it rolled out. Season over, game over, great. So me being taking things personal, I got real upset about it, and I was like, I, I lost the game, you know, I, I, I ruined it, I should have made the shot, blah, blah, blah. And later that afternoon, I had three of my, my teammates, they come over, and they, they came over, and they said, Seth, you gave it your all. You left it all on the floor. You played the whole game. In fact, it was so gross, your shorts were wet. Um, I'm a sweater by, by nature, and nobody wanted me to guard them because not only would I swarm them like flies, but I was wet. And nobody wanted me to, it's really gross. They just didn't want me to be around them. That was probably why I was able to, uh, to keep them from scoring. But, uh, but anyway, I digress. It was so helpful because they came to me and they said, it's not your fault. We all made mistakes. 
It was your shot to take. It just, you know, <laughs> by God's sovereignty, it didn't go in, right? And I said, it's okay. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Life goes on. No problem. But what I remembered, one, was encouragement, but two was what they told me. They said, you gave it your all. You did the best you could, and you left it on the floor. As I thought about that, I thought about this message, and I thought about you starting tomorrow, students, teachers, parents. It's going to be a long year. It's going to be a hard year. There's going to be ups and downs, uh, but I, I want to encourage you to, to leave it all at the school, right? And for believers in Christ who've already been through school, leave it all on this earth before we go to heaven. Leave it all here. Give it your all. And how do we give it our all? Paul mentions three things that we are to do to prioritize in giving our all for Jesus. First, he said, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Second, let the word of God dwell in you. And third, let the name of Christ compel you. The peace of Christ rule your hearts. The word of God dwell in you. The name of Christ compel you. So verse 15, Paul starts by saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does the word peace mean? Irenea in Greek. Uh, Irenea, it, it, it really means a couple things. First, it means that of a, an agreement or a compact or a treaty. Think about when there's war and there's great division what happens when a peace treaty is made? The goal is peace between these two nations that are at odds with one another, that are at enmity with one another. The goal is, is for the two leaders of the two nations to sign a peace treaty, a peace agreement, so that there would be no more war, so that war would cease. As I was studying this week about war and about peace, I came up across the personnel journal and it reported an incredible statistic about peace treaties. It says, since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. In its study, the periodical discovered that of, the, of over 3,500 years of recorded history, only 286 years saw peace. Again, over 3,500 years of recorded history, only 286 years have seen world peace. Moreover, in excess of 8,000 peace treaties were made and broken. 8,000 peace treaties or more throughout world history were made and were broken. Isn't that fascinating? The kind of peace that Paul wrote about here is that this is the peace of Christ, which can't be broken. It's a peace compact, a peace treaty that can't be broken. Because here's the reality. Before we had the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, we were at enmity, we were enemies of God. We were on opposite sides of from the Lord. We were at odds. But yet, that's why Jesus came, the Prince of Peace. He came to usher in peace, to bring in peace, so that we could once again have a relationship with God. We could be reconciled with him. And then we can experience peace and not war with God. We are no longer enemies of God. We are friends. We are called children. We are no longer enslaved. We are no longer orphans. We are now adopted children of God. And therefore, we have the peace of God in our hearts. So that's what peace is first. It's a peace treaty that can't be broken that has been made with us in Christ. And ultimately, Christ made it with us, and he's kept his agreement. The second thing about peace 
is peace is having an attitude of rest and even security. Peace isn't just a peace agreement where war has ceased. It's also having rest and a sense of security. Now, I didn't mention this before I left two weeks ago, but the last week and a half I was in Alaska. Many of you don't know that, but I was, I was doing some training for the first ever joint Army and Air National Guard trip. And I went with about 40, 40 uh, soldiers and airmen, and I got to train 40 of them for a day, and I also was their chaplain or pastor in Alaska. It was great. So at the end of each work day, there was a group of us that would go to the mountains. And if you've ever been to Alaska Anchorage, we went to Seward as well, just beautiful sights all around, and it was great weather, 70s, it was great we got to go hiking, we saw waterfalls, we saw glaciers. We just saw God's magnificent beauty in Alaska, and it would be light until midnight. It was crazy. I'm still catching up my sleep four hours behind. But I bring all this up because at the end of a work day, it was busy. We would go on a fun hike, and then we would see God's beauty. And it was so peaceful. It was so relaxing. I even not only took pictures, but I took videos of the waterfalls and the streams of water, and I just was soaking it in. In fact, there was even a time I said, hey, can y'all just go on and I'll catch up? Because <laughs> I just want to embrace God's beauty right now. I bring that up because I, I flew home, and then I, I, I fly in a, a tanker, and, and I'm able to look out and I see the Smokies. I'm like, I'm home. I mean, even though I had a good time, there was no place like home. And I came back and I'm thinking to myself and to all of you, God has blessed us with living in East Tennessee. And we need to take in the beauty that he's given us. We need to take the time to go out and be still and know that he's God. We need to see his peace from his creation and take it in. We need to take in moments, those brief moments, where we can be reminded that we are at peace with him and he provides peace. And what better moments do we have than not only being in his word, but to go in the mountains and see his beauty? I say all this because I'm worried that we are in such a crazy, hectic, busy world that we don't take the time to do that. And you're about to enter a really busy season, a really busy season. So I would just encourage you in the busy moments to just take moments throughout the day, even moments throughout the week, and it may just be five or ten minutes, but be still and know that he is God. Let that peace of Christ rule your heart because we're in such a restless world. Peace not only provides us rest, the peace of Christ, but it also provides us security. It's an assurance that that peace treaty will not be broken and that when we leave this earth and go into heaven, our, our place in heaven is secure. So if you ever have doubt of your eternal security, but Paul's saying here, no, let the peace of Christ rule your heart so you have no doubt. Know that he's with you and it's his peace that will fill you in this world and even in the next. Have security in that promise. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. Now the word rule, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Do you know where the word comes from? It actually comes from an athletic analogy. It's the Greek word brabio, which describes the activity of an umpire in describing the outcome of an athletic contest. We have a referee here today that, that refed Michael Jordan back in the day. Um, and I talked to him a couple weeks ago. He said, yeah, it was fun being a ref, but it was really hard because nobody liked you as the ref. When, when I see the word rule, that's what comes to mind. And that's the Greek context. It's that of an umpire. 
It's that of a referee, one who refs games. And anytime you go to an athletic event, whether it's basketball, football, soccer, baseball, you name it, there's three teams on the field. Oftentimes, we think about two teams. We think about, we think about the home team and the away team. But there's a third team that you never really think about, and it's the refs. The refs are the third team. What would happen if you didn't have a referee in the game? It'd be mass chaos. There'd be fouls all over the place. People would break the rules. You'd have just anarchy take place on the court or on the field. Thank goodness we have referees. Thank goodness we have umpires, even if you don't like them at times. They're necessary because what do they do? They enforce the rules of the game the official rules of the game. They don't make up the rules. The rules have already been made up for them, but they enforce the rules. And they, to the best of their ability, try to keep the rules in place. That's what Paul is saying here. Let God's peace and Jesus Christ rule over your heart. Let it be the umpire. Let it coach you. Let it direct you. Let it make the call that is appropriate. Let it rule your heart in that way. And then Paul went on to say, not only let it rule your own heart, but, it, but he went on to say here, which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Indeed you are called in one body, meaning that we should not just experience peace personally, we should experience peace corporately as a church. We should not be at odds with one another. And if we are at odds, we need to reconcile with one another and be quick to forgive each other. And I couldn't help but Think about a better passage than this in the times that we're living in. Because the days that we're in right now are so divided. There's so much angst and hostility and turmoil and distress. What does Paul tell us as Christians to do? Let the peace rule, dictate. Let it govern our lives and also govern our churches so that we're unified and we're people of peace and we promote peace and not promote division or war or fighting. And again, as Paul went on to say, you are called to be peaceful in one body and be thankful. Be thankful for the peace that rules in your hearts. So how do we give Jesus our all first? We let the peace of Christ rule our hearts like a referee would. The second thing we do is we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let the word of Christ permeate throughout our lives. What does this mean? Well, a couple things I think about is the word dwell. The word of Christ dwell among you. The word dwell means to abide. It means to remain. It means to be at home in you. So the word of God dwelling, it should find its place in you. you sh it should find a home in you, in your heart, and in your mind. And I'll just go ahead and say, if, if you're struggling right now, you're really worried, you're really anxious, you're really afraid, you're really just upset, I would ask you the question, are you in God's word? regularly, daily. And if you are and you're still upset, that's okay. That's part of the Christian journey. Come talk to us. If you need some, some support, we're here to help you. But I would imagine many of you probably answered no. You probably answered no, I'm not really in the word. And just like a coal train is fueled by its coal to keep the engine running, so in order for us to keep going and giving Jesus our all, we gotta be fueled by God's word. We gotta allow the word of God to dwell in us richly. The word richly is abundantly. It's really extravagantly. We've gotta let that word dwell in us. Dwell in us so that when we are tempted, 
a word of scripture comes to mind and says, yeah, don't do that. When we are thinking uh, uh, negative about ourselves or others, a word of God will remind us, no, 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 don't think that. In fact, Psalm 119, uh, uh, David wrote that I have hidden How can a young man stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart. It's dwelling, it's found its home in me so that I will not sin against you. Some of you have read about Blaise Pascal or studied him in math. He was a 17th century French mathematician and scientist, and he came up with many theorems that you learn about in class today. Well, at 31 years old, Blaise Pascal, his life dramatically changed. And we know that because he died at the age of 39. And when he died, there was found in his coat a written testimony of his life that was sewn on his coat in the inside pocket of his coat. And this is what the testimony read. It said, certainty, certainty, heartfelt joy, peace, God of, the peace of God in Jesus Christ. The world is forgotten now and everything except God is mine. Joy, 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 tears of joy, the fountain of living waters, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, let me never be cut off from him. He mentioned the date. It was the year 1654 where he was 31 years old and he said it was half past 10 in the evening until about half past midnight, he was wrestling with his faith and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. I share that because they found in each of his jackets that he wore this letter that was sewn in his jacket. And it had these words written in it that were his testimony. That was his testimony. In other words, Blaise Pascal wanted to remember every day that Jesus was with him. The peace of Christ was ruling over him and he was dwelling in him. What a great reminder for us about what does it look like for the word of God to dwell in us. It looks a lot like that where we need to literally stitch it on us, literally beat it in our heads as a reminder that God's word trumps all. It's the absolute truth and we desperately need it every single day. So Paul went on to say, in order to give our all to Jesus, we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us abundantly. And as we do so, we're able to teach and admonish others, meaning we encourage others in the faith. We even have to gently correct others if they're being led astray by false doctrine. And as students, you may hear some bad teaching. And so go back to God's word so that you know what is true. Don't allow the worldly philosophies of the day to dominate your mind and to change your worldview. Make sure when you hear things that aren't true to back it up with scripture so you know what is true. And in order to do that, you've got to let the word of God dwell richly in you. And as you allow the word of God to dwell richly, not only will you allow to instruct others and correct others and know what's true, but you will respond with thanksgiving and joy, even in song. And I'm sure like, like, like me at times, you'll come to church and you're just glad you made it. And then you kind of just bumble through the songs or you may even miss half the songs because you show up late. I would encourage you this fall to show up on time or a few minutes early. And when you do, get your heart ready to sing. And as you sing, sing with joy. Sing with passion. If you don't know the words, mumble it. Say watermelon. We got the words on the screen for you. 
If you don't like the words, come tell us. But I will tell you, we work hard to make sure that the content of the songs are good and they're right and true. But allow the words that you sing to permeate your soul and let it be overflow. May your life be overflowing with joy. Come here prepared to sing your guts out, to sing your heart out for the Lord. Give Jesus your all in song because you've allowed the word of God to dwell richly among you. The third thing that we need to remember from Paul's words here of how do we give Jesus our all? Uh, We also are to whatever we do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does this mean? Well, it means that in the name of Jesus, or the name of Jesus should compel us to work hard and to work with excellence in all we do and and to strive for holiness. The word whatever, it means whosoever and whatsoever. Whosoever is no matter who you deal with, Whatsoever is no matter what you deal with. So no matter who you deal with and no matter what you deal with, you are to give Jesus your all. You are to, in word and deed, do everything in his name and let his name compel you to serve. So I wanna make this statement. There is never a place and never a time where we are not to live for Jesus. How's that a triple negative? Don't do that in class this year. But there is never a place and never a time where we are not to live for Jesus. Never a place, never a time where we are not to live for Jesus. So what does that mean? It means in the classroom, we live for Jesus. It means on the court, on the field, we live for Jesus. Men on the golf course. If you're having a bad golf day, try not to cuss, right? Don't throw your clubs everywhere because you're representing Jesus even on the golf course. When you're at work and you've had a bad day, when you're at home, And home is the worst place because everybody knows your warts at home. You live for Jesus. When you're on vacation and you think, I can let my guard down a little bit. I can loosen it up here. Be careful on vacation because there's never a place and never a time where we're not to live for Jesus. And in word and in deed, in word meaning all words coming out of our mouths, in deed meaning everything you do, everything you do is to be for the glory of God and the good of others and for the name of Jesus to be proclaimed. After all, we are Christians. The word Christians means little Christs, which means we represent who? Jesus Christ. So as you go to school tomorrow, as you go to the classroom and teach, as you go to work, as you go to work tomorrow, keep this big picture in mind that you are representing the Almighty One, Jesus Christ, and people are watching. And so strive to be a good witness to this watching world. I read a, of an example that happened pretty recently. There was a guy by the name of Kevin and he was diagnosed uh, with uh, terminal cancer. And the doctor gave him just a few weeks to live. Kevin had been in the hospital for about a month and he received this horrible diagnosis. Uh, and he was about to be trans- transferred to hospice care because he had a month to live. Well, right before he transferred, several nurses and doctors came to his room and, and they said, Kevin, we love you. And we have never met such a nice patient as you. You have always been cheerful, optimistic, even in spite of horrible news. You still had a smile on your face. They said, what is up with you, man? What's going on, Kevin? And Kevin told all the nurses and the doctors, he said, it's Jesus. I've allowed the peace of Jesus to rule my heart. And I've been in his word and it dwells within me. And I, I'm overflowing with thankfulness because I'm a wretched sinner saved by his grace It's only by the grace of God that I'm here today. It's Jesus who fills me with joy. That's why I radiate 
Well, as he's saying this, there was a doctor in the room who was the, who was the uh, most professional doctor. Uh, he was the most paid doctor uh, of that hospital. And he was scratching his head. He said, Kevin, I don't get it, man. I, I just, I've never gotten into this faith stuff and I, I just don't understand. And as he's saying these words, there was a, a woman who stepped in who was cleaning the trash. Her name was Maria. And she was the custodian. And she had this glow about her. And Kevin had already talked to her before. And Kevin said, Maria, come over here. He said, Doc, I want you to ask Maria what makes her so happy. And the doctor said, Maria, what makes you happy? And Maria said, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the doctor said, okay, I got to know who this Jesus is. <laughs> and Kevin and Maria told, told the doctor about Jesus Christ, and, and, and they led him to faith that day. I, I bring that up because here's two people who radiated with joy. They had a peaceful presence about them. Why? Because they were changed by Jesus Christ. They experienced fulfillment in this world. They experienced peace that passes all understanding that nobody can fathom. And as a result of that peace of Christ, they exuberated joy and they radiated Jesus Christ. Are you radiating Jesus Christ like Maria and Kevin? Are you leading others to Christ because of the joy that you have in him? I would encourage you again as we approach this busy season starting tomorrow, give Jesus your all. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Let the word of God dwell in you richly and let the name of Jesus compel you to serve with excellence and to work hard and leave it on the field, leave it in the classroom, leave it on this earth as we pass into glory.